Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome back, and we're going to continue talking about 10 things to do in Dublin. This is part three of our discussion, and today we're going to start out with a trip to Trinity College. So this was an institution that was founded in 1592 by Queen Elizabeth I, and it's one of those places that I think should end up on your list if you are looking to explore Dublin. When you approach Trinity College, you're going to pass a few things first on your way to the place. One is a statue of an individual, Thomas More, an Irish writer, a poet, and a lyricist. So you might snap yourself a photo of the Thomas More mm-hmm. statue yourself with it. And then just outside Trinity College is this really interesting sculpture. It's called The Sphere Within a Sphere. And it's a bronze sculpture by an Italian sculptor, Arnaldo Pomodoro. And there's actually several of these sculptures, these spheres throughout the world. And Julie, we had seen one of these in another one of our visits. Do you remember where? I do not. To another one of our visits to another country? Yes. Yeah. We've seen two of these sculptures. So one was at Trinity College. It was in Italy. And it was at the Vatican. It was at the Vatican. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> you win the prize. No, I remember. Yeah. There's several other places throughout the world where the same sculpture exists, too. So it has a few nicknames. It's known as the Half-Eaten Malteser. It's also known as the Death Star. And I, when you see it, it kind of has that Death Star <laughs> kind of look. So, though, you know, a few things that you're going to see on your way in, but you're going to want to go inside because inside Trinity College, there's some remarkable things. Yes, and I happened to wander along Trinity College twice, once without you and once with you. The first time I didn't really pay attention um, because you weren't with me. And I kind of peered, looked, and moved on because I knew we were going to come back. The second time we, I went in and we were mainly there because we wanted to see the Book of Kells. We had researched that and said, yeah, this is something that we want to see. And the Book of Kells is considered a national treasure in Ireland. It is a sacred manuscript and it's a medieval treasure to Ireland and pretty much to the world. I mean, I kind of feel like it's something that is shared by the world. And Ireland just kind of hosts it. It has the four Gospels of the New Testament, but it is written in such a way that it is a piece of art. The beautiful artistry in it, the magnificence of the writing of the words is just gorgeous. And this was all done by hand. Yeah, completely by hand. So colorful, so amazing. So this was before there were printing presses. Right. So this was made by Celtic monks around 800 AD. And 
to this day, at this moment, it lies in uh, Trinity College Library. Yeah, so something Pretty fascinating cool. to see. So that was the main draw for us to go to Trinity College. Mm-hmm. But we saw other things too, some things that surprised us. Yeah, big surprise. And that would be that very long room library. And I remember the first thing as we walked into it, we said, oh my gosh, this is Harry Potter's library. Yeah. It had that same feel when you're watching the movie, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. when they went into those libraries. Of course, Harry Potter had magical things happening in it. But this look and this feel of this library seems so ancient and so old and so mysterious. Yeah. It was really cool. And walking into it, I don't know that I've ever seen in one space, like as far as my eyes could see, more books in one place. Yeah. They're from side to side, from the floor to the ceiling, mm-hmm. and it's hard to describe. And multiple stories. Yeah, it's hard to mm-hmm. describe how huge this space is. And the books on these shelves, they've got to be hundreds of years old. Oh, yeah. We didn't even touch the surface of what was in there. This room was built between 1712 and 1732. It's called the Long Room at Trinity College's Old Library. It holds collections that number up to 200,000 and there's some of the oldest books yeah. around. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if there's an effort to digitize that collection cuz I got to imagine there's books that are probably so old in there that the ravages of time at some point are going to start to wear mm-hmm. on the paper. Yeah. That's yeah. a big job. You think about an effort to digitize that, yeah. but uh, what an impressive collection. Very incredibly impressive. Not only just the unbelievable amount of books, but the ancient aspect of it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. And there was some displays that were out as you walked on the bottom floor and they had some display cases so you can see some of the things that are within the library and some explanations to these books. Mm-hmm. It was a really fun and I say fun as it really piqued my interest. Yeah. I almost know? felt and like I got my money's worth just by yeah. peering into this phenomenal library. In the library, too, look up because the ceiling is absolutely gorgeous. It's very distinctive. Mm. It's got a barrel, kind of a half barrel look with incredible woodwork yeah. uh, on the ceiling. It's just beautiful. So make sure you look up. I don't think you could miss it. It's interesting that they don't build places like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you're right. That's a whole nother interesting thing to see is just the architecture of the building. Yes. And this addition was in 1860. And it, they rebuilt and they went up to allow more books to be mm. placed into the library. So relative to the library it's a newer edition but it's absolutely gorgeous yeah i bet you today we can hold two hundred thousand books on our ipads or computers oh sure but once upon a time (laughs) you needed a big building Mm -hmm. yeah there are many marble busts of some pretty famous philosophers and writers that lines the room the room is 200 feet long so the whole way you you will see these marble busts and my recollection is they were labeled, too. I think so. I'm pretty sure yeah. they were labeled so you can um, get an idea of who these uh, famous people are. The enormous collection also housed some rare copies of some books, and one of them would be the 1916 Proclamation of the Irish Republic, which is very important to Ireland, and a 15th century wooden harp 
in the library, which is the model for the emblem of Ireland. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. By far, the most incredible thing, as we said, was the Book of Kells and the beauty of the Book of Kells. It is an incredible manuscript. It's decorated lavishly from these monks in the way that they were taught at that time. For me, there was a wonder when you walked up to it. I kind of was expecting something beautiful, but it was more beautiful than I even thought. Mm -hmm. And I was just in awe of it. It was just gorgeous. So the book sits under like a glass display housing. So it keeps it from being touched, keeps it from the elements. And my understanding is that every day they flip a page Mm -hmm. so that as you go into this display of the Book of Kells from one day to another, you would get a chance to see a different page. But on any one day, there will be one page Mm -hmm. on display. And I imagine whatever page it happens to be, you're going to get that sense of just that the artistry that you described, the uh, calligraphy, oh, sure. the mm-hmm. the artwork, the colors that they used in the book. Now, how? why is it called the Book of Kells? Because it was named after the monastery where the Celtic monks created it in Kells, County Meath. The monks took refuge there after a Viking raid came down upon them and they hid the book of Kells there the manuscript there for them of course it was a very sacred item Mm -hmm. it was the book of the gospels and they were trying to keep it safe and you couldn't go down to your local barnes and nobles and get another one should something happen to it oh no yeah no it came to trinity college in dublin in 1661 so a very very long time ago Mm -hmm. so it's been there under safekeeping, after the Vikings were not no longer marauding, the Cromwellian raids started. So they were trying to keep all the uh, items, including the Book of Kells, safe. Mm-hmm. And since the 19th century, we're able to see it. So we were felt lucky that we were able to witness the medieval treasure that you described. I mean, it was it was it was a highlight for sure. It was great. Now. Mind you, you do have to buy a ticket to get into the Book of Kells. It is about 16 euro for adults, Mm -hmm. but I would say well worth the 16 euros. Definitely something to see. Mm -hmm. And when you're at Trinity College, there's some things you may want to know about it. So we learned a few things and we'll put these under the category of fun facts. And one of these is that the students are said to be afraid to pass under the... Campanile and the iconic granite campanile, or otherwise known as the bell tower, stands in Trinity College's front square. It's over a hundred feet tall, and tourists like us will come to the college to take pictures of this monument. It faces the college's front gates. But students have a superstition that says any student who is unfortunate enough to pass underneath the bell tower while the bell is tolling will fail their college exams. So there's there's this uh, tradition of not walking under the bell tower. However, on graduation day, a celebratory walk under the Campanile is part of the rite of passage. Another fun fact is Trinity College began as a monastery. It was established on the grounds of a former Catholic monastery, namely the Augustinian Priory of All Hallows. 
We know from history that the monasteries had been disbanded by King Henry VIII as part of the dissolution of the monasteries. In 1592, the Archbishop of Dublin at the time, Adam Loftus, and several others, requested a royal charter from Queen Elizabeth I to create the university there in order to train new clergy ministers and strengthen the Protestant Reformation. And one more thing about Trinity College is that it has a copy of every book that has been printed in Britain and Ireland. So because of its status as a legal deposit library, it's entitled to at least one copy of every publication free of charge that is published in the country of Ireland. So that massive collection that they have, it reflects the totality of authorship that has happened over the centuries in Ireland and the United Kingdom. I think it's probably similar to our Library of Congress, perhaps Mm -hmm. in the United States. And I think that they're kind of a similar repository of things that have been published over the uh, the decades and centuries. Mm-hmm. And Trinity alumni continue to have the right to use this incredible service of getting access to the books at the library even after graduation. And Trinity College is the largest research library in Ireland. So definitely uh, a neat place to see. Not only is it an educational institution, but it has some unbelievable holdings that are available for tourists to see. And it's a nice time to both go inside, you know, see the library, see the Book of Kells, and I think even just wander around the campus. Wander around the campus because it's a beautiful campus, very ancient, very old. Mm -hmm. The many buildings on the site are very interesting and and nice to look at. They're very, I like the architecture of it. So Trinity College is number seven on our list of things to do in Dublin. Moving on to number eight, we always like to spend some time looking at churches in countries that we visit, and Dublin, Ireland was no exception. The first church that we wandered upon was a small community church. It was St. Mikan's Church, and I just remember this because it was the first church that you and I had ever visited on travels to Europe because this mm-hmm. was Dublin right. was our first, first overseas trip. Right. And I don't remember if we went inside, but I do distinctly remember just walking around the graveyard and being fascinated by seeing those super, super old tombstones mm-hmm. and you know, trying to read how old some of the, uh, the labeling was of people who had been buried in the yard of the church. Yes, so and we did not go inside. We did not, yeah. And I don't know what kept us from going in. I do. We were on our way to the Jameson Distillery. Okay, so we were we were trying to get to another destination. Yes. Okay. And we had to march on to have okay. our whiskey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there were some other churches we also did not go into, but we passed by. One of the most prominent ones that we walked by a few times was Christ Church Cathedral, which is you can't miss if you're walking in the city. And I don't know why we didn't go inside that one either. But I think the one church that was on our radar that we wanted to walk into, because I think we may have heard about it, or we had, we definitely had expectations about it, and that was St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm-hmm. So that ended up being on our itinerary. So one morning we we set off on foot to go 
explore St. Patrick's Cathedral. This is a church that was raised to cathedral status back in 1213, so a long, long time ago. And after the Reformation, it reverted in status back to a parish church, but then regained cathedral status in 1555. So it's kind of bounced back and forth. Mm -hmm. And part of the bouncing back and forth, although it's been, I guess, in one direction, has been from a Catholic institution to a Protestant institution. And for whatever reason, I had it in my head that this was gonna be a Catholic cathedral. And I remember we we took a walk through St. Patrick's Park, where tradition also has it that St. Patrick baptized the first Irish Christians in a well that's situated at this park. And there's a marker that you'll come across that notes the reputed spot of that well. And initially, there was a small wooden church that was erected there to commemorate the event. But many years later, the large cathedral church that you will see today was stood up on those grounds. So we went inside. I think I had expectations of like some of these grander cathedrals that I have seen in my travels previously. And I remember walking in the doors and it just seemed dusty and dingy and yeah. And just immediately, I think my expectations started to be somewhat deflated. I mean, there, there were, as you might see in several cathedrals, like those large statues, some that I think were like over, you know, tombs of probably famous Mm -hmm. Irish people. So you, so you did get some of that sense of the artwork that you may sometimes see in cathedrals. But there was just something that felt different than my expectation as we went well, inside. I mean, you looked at it at the cathedral, and I could picture the grandeur of it in past. I think that it probably had much more art in it. It had something more in it. And I, and I could almost picture it, but I think that it had all been removed. Yeah. And I don't know if someone was to go there today if it's somewhat different from the time that we visited it, Mm -hmm. because it's been a a, a few years. But, you know, we did take some time to look at the stained glass, the architecture. There were a number of prominent tombs inside. And, of course, for me, being a keyboard player, we did get a peek at one of the organs inside, which was um, a nice four-manual, four-keyboard instrument. But I also learned that if you do plan to visit St. Patrick's Cathedral, we went in the morning... But apparently a prime time to visit would be to try to target the late afternoon. And that's because often at that time of the day, you might get a chance to listen to the organ and the choir who often practice just before Evensong is held at 5.45 p.m. And a few things of note, though, also about this particular cathedral is that the choir here took part in the first ever performance of Handel's Messiah in 1742. So if listening to the choir during evening services doesn't catch your interest, you might try an organ recital on noted evenings where that also takes place there. So I think if you maybe go there and maybe can soak up some of the music, that's going to give you a totally different experience than than what you and I had there. So. But exploring some of the churches, and there's so many old historic churches in the city of Dublin, would be our number eight recommendation when you're in town. Number nine on our list is just walking the River Liffey, which is the main river that runs through Dublin. It is big, it is wide, it is long. 
and it is very pretty, and it has several bridges that cross it. Mm -hmm. The river divides the city into the north side and the south side, and it's a nice time, whether it's the day or the night, to just walk down the river and enjoy the sights, and it's very peaceful. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of quiet, depending on where you're walking. We ended up walking quite a bit. Yeah, there was one evening where you took me on a walk back to our hotel. Yes, we decided to walk back to the hotel, and that was quite long. On a very cold night. Well, we were there in December, right? Yeah, just uh, last week in November, first week yeah. of December. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it was a bit cold, but... It was very brisk, but it was a nice walk. Yeah. And uh, the river is just very beautiful. I mm -hmm. mean, even the play of the sunset as we watched it go down. I mean, it was just, it was just very relaxing and very nice. Yeah, and to me, there's something about these rivers in European cities where they're built up. I think about like rivers in Amsterdam. You and I, we've gone by several river areas in Poland, mm -hmm. and they're just built differently than we mm -hmm. have in the States. And part of it is you do have sometimes architecture that goes along the banks of the river that that itself might be several hundred years old. So you just get that really neat feeling. And I always enjoy walking those types of areas. When you're in older cities like this, the river was the main transportation mm -hmm of the city itself, bringing in goods, taking out goods. So it was, it's a very bustling area when that's your, your main source of transportation. Mm -hmm. And it may not be this day like that, but um, you still have all that structure that was built yeah. to accommodate that. And if you spend some time in the shopping area of Dublin and then want to get yourself over to the Temple Bar pub and eating area of Dublin, you're going to have to cross yourself over the River Liffey. So to explore the city in its right. entirety, I mean, you're going to come across it. Yeah. And, you know, we would say, don't just give it a passing glance, spend some time, you know, walking its banks. Take photos. It's a yeah. great place to take photos. And our walk along um, the Liffey was quite brisk. I was ready to be at the hotel by the time we got there because we walked a very long way. Yeah. From the city center all the way to our hotel. I ended up, went on Google Maps to see how far it is that we actually did, did walk that did night. Did you really? Yeah, and it, it was about a 5K, a little longer than a 5K walk. So it was a nice stroll in the late evening, but it was a nice way in the Dublin night to kind of, you know, soak up a sense of the city in a different way. Different parts of the city, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's number nine, is spending some time on the River Liffey. We do have one more item to cover on our 10 things to do whilst in Dublin, but it's a little bit involved and we're going to dive into that next time. So our 10 things to do in Dublin is going to take us uh, quite a few episodes to uncover. Before we leave today, we do have a few more factoids that we uncovered about Dublin. About we keep, Dublin we itself. Keep, yeah, keep learning about places even mm -hmm. after we travel to them. Yeah, absolutely. So Dublin was a Viking settlement. It was founded by the Vikings, and they called this area the Norse Kingdom of Dublin in the ninth century. Thus, you get the name Dublin. Yeah, I remember when we were there, there were like some Viking exhibitions in some of the museums and i imagine because of that viking mm -hmm. history you probably run into that from uh from time to time if not all the time mm -hmm. just because there was such a presence of the vikings mm -hmm. there another item i came across mm -hmm. that may be more familiar to many people 
especially if you've ever watched a movie. I'm sure all of us have watched a famous film at one point or another that's introduced with a roaring lion at the very beginning. Well, it turns out that the very first lion that was used by MGM Pictures was a lion named Slats, and Slats was born in the Dublin Zoo in 1919. So this makes for one of the most interesting facts about Dublin, and Slats the Lion starred on all black and white MGM films that were filmed between the years 1924 and 1928. So American movies with an Irish, Irish lion. lion. Who knew? Dublin's population is very youthful. They have the youngest population in all of Europe. Approximately 50% of the population is less than 25 years of age. And I imagine with a town that's full of pubs and restaurants, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just the place for the youthful folk to be. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So again, thanks for uh, joining us and continuing to listen to our exploration of Dublin. We'll catch up with you in two more weeks with our final installment on Dublin. For now, we're going to say goodbye and thanks for joining us on The Places Where We Go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.